This is Hacker Public Radio episode 3376 for Monday, the 12th of July 2021. Today's show is entitled Making Books with Linux, Part 2. It is hosted by Dave Morris and is about 49 minutes long and carries an explicit flag. The summary is part two of a discussion about how two HPR hosts create books. This episode of HPR is brought to you by archive.org. Support universal access to all knowledge by heading over to archive.org forward slash donate. Welcome to another episode of Hacker Public Radio. I am uh, Andrew, also known as McNallu, and uh, I'm joined today by Dave. How are you Hi, doing, Andrew. Dave? I'm great, thanks. It's, it's a lovely day in Edinburgh, and I believe it's a very nice day in, in uh, Glasgow as well. Yes, so, I'm sitting here in the excellent. dark looking out at the bright sunshine. <laughs> Um, and of, I should also mention that if you listen carefully, we're, we'll have other guests, mainly a, a great tit, which is outside. Uh, if you listen carefully, you might hear him chirping away. <laughs> yeah, the the, um, the bird sound is not so bad here because I've shut the door. Uh, but if I were to leave the, the, the door open, the back door open, you would hear lots of sparrows and starlings and everything. So, yeah, <laughs> I think it's good. I like, it's, I like the ambient... Uh, the qualities of these things, you know, the background noises and stuff, but uh, sometimes yeah. it's not, not appropriate. No, no, I think it's quite pleasant today, and it's not it's not fake, it is real birdsong that you might, you might hear in the background, but knowing them, they've probably all shut up now we started recording. So what we're going to talk about uh, today is, well, this is sort of loosely connected to a show that we recorded a week ago. I don't know how far apart they'll be separated when they're released, um, but uh, last time when Dave and I talked uh, he was quizzing me, and I was talking about some document creation scripts and methods that I had used. And so we're now switching roles. Um, you're going to hear less from me and more from Dave on uh, some interesting ideas um, and scripts uh, that he has been developing um, for, well, I guess, cataloging um uh, HPR, making notes in HPR episodes, would that be a fair... Uh, yes, yes. It's um, my... Uh, the, the principle behind this is that I have developed a, a mindset that <laughs> says uh, I'm not very good at remembering things and getting things done in order and stuff like that. So I, I like to write either recipes, a bit of paper that says do this, do this, do this, in this order... Or I write write bits of code to do it, and that's what I've done in the the HBR case, you know. So I don't f- suddenly forget. Oh no, I forgot to put tags on that show. Oh no, oh, it's terrible, and and that sort of thing. I'll try and make them up on the fly and, and stuff. So I have scripts which do a lot of a lot of what I need to do to make an HBR show, which I also use 
when a similar I've got a similar set that I use when people send shows into HBR and um uh particularly when people send in shows with pictures which I encourage uh pictures and you know bits of code or whatever that is they're sending in much to be encouraged but uh, it takes a bit of management when it comes in as a text file with possibly not even intending it to be markdown so it needs to be turned into markdown and the picture's all stitched into it or whatever and i've written scripts to do that as well so so uh, as you do you know yes indeed in fact i've uh, uh, you know um sought your advice on how best to do that as a contributor as, as well I, I recall um yes and yeah yes. I, I can't remember whether i got it right or not you did, you were too polite to say i think but i, I tried to do my best <laughs> to minimize your well, work and I, we haven't I, I haven't yet made a definitive uh document of any sort i'm in the process of, of putting one together that says if you're sending in what i call assets with your just because I wanted a word, and that seemed like an appropriate <laughs> one, um, with your show, then uh, could you please do it in this sort of way? And uh, then my uh, my scripts and stuff can easily sort it out, and then I, I can do a bit of automation of sticking the sticking the links and so forth into the um, into the show. And uh, actually, before before we go into the, the, the details of your scripts, is it worth maybe just briefly describing? the format of show notes with images that you would prefer? I mean, how would you, if, if, if uh, some show notes arrived and they're all neatly done in Markdown and somebody has included an image in the show notes and uploaded an image when they, with their show, what structure would you like to see in the Markdown? Ideally, that would make you go, oh, good, this is no work for me. Well, there's a, it's, fair, it's fairly simple, actually. Um, if if all those things that you just said are true. Um, because Markdown has the capability of uh, referencing an image, um, it's it can be relatively straightforward to simply, you just need to know the URL of, the, of where your picture will go. And we do, it's pretty obscure, but it is in the documentation. We, we, we what we do is we have a, a directory where all the shows go, all, all the all the audio goes. The actual notes are in a database. So, um, if we have assets, if you don't mind me using that term, then we create a subdirectory which is named HPR one two three four, whatever your show number is, and in it we put the, the various uh, extras and stuff. Ideally, we want you to put an index in that, that directory because the way that the web server set up on the HBR um, machine, that server, is uh, that if you have a directory and you don't want people to browse it, you need to put an index.html file in there. So, yeah, it's not that simple, actually, now I come to say it. But, <laughs> but given that you know that your picture is going to be, you know, the HPR site slash blah, 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 slash HPR so-and-so, so-and-so, then the name of your, your picture, .jpeg or .png or whatever it is, then you could um, put that all together and, uh, and make it so. However, most people... Have, don't send in that level of markdown. There are some people who do do a brilliant job. Some people who send in what we originally asked for, which is uh, HTML. But uh, 
you know, get, getting the links right in that can be can be quite uh, daunting. Mm. Um, so what people tend to do, and this is something that sort of evolved really, is that they say they they, they write their text not in Markdown but just in plain text. But plain text and Markdown at the base level are pretty pretty sim similar, aren't they? The way people mm. lay out text, you know, with a you might put a header in as a separate line, and you might put a make a list by putting a hyphen at the start of each line, and uh, and so forth. So if they send it in with some sort of meta thing in it that says picture one here please or something like that dave could i have picture one in this place or something something like that it won't always be me but you, you know what i'm saying that something something that makes it plain that here is where picture one is to go right. then um i can um i can actually turn that into a thing which uh, which which i can turn into to mark down with the links in and uh, and I can compute where they're going to be and get the order from your order and so forth so that's that's where we are at the moment does that make sense yes yes that does that that does make sense yeah that's fine um so anyway so that was a bit of a a, a digression that I threw in there so what is it uh, specifically that you'd uh, you'd like to talk about um with the work that you've been doing well it's two things really. There's there's the whole infrastructure of how to how I found it useful to put together notes um, for HBR, and there's also uh, what I'm trying to do in terms of uh, of a book. So to call it a book is a bit highfalutin, really. Uh, it's a consolidated um, number of of show notes in in a more readable form. That's where we started from, really, when we were talking about this. But we've we've sort of gone into the area of HPR show notes a little bit, which is, I think, I think quite relevant and interesting. Hopefully, anyway. So, if I mention the what I do with show notes in a, in a general sense, um, I have found that it makes life a lot easier for me if I uh, intersperse my notes with a sort of uh, another markup thing. What I, for years and years and years, I've been using a, a Perl tool, and there's there's equivalents um, called temp, Template Toolkit. It's um, what do you call these things? It, it's a it's a templating system, I suppose, is what you call it. They, they exist for all sorts of languages, um, and independently of languages, I think as well. The principle of it is that you put a, a tagged item into your text which is seen by something that pre-processes it. So the pre-processing would go through the file and say, oh, look, here's one of my tags. What am I to do? And in some cases, it's merely a variable being created or um, it could be code being being created. There's all manner of capabilities that exist in there. What I often do is to make these template variables to contain long convoluted URLs and I put them all at the top of the document and then when I come to make a link to that URL or there's in Markdown there tends to be two two cases where you want to make links one is if you are just making a um, you know, a list of, uh, of, of links to things it's it's part the URL part 
is where you put your URL. But there's also a thing where you, you might want to put things which are, what are they called references? I think they are, where you say, you know, in in document ABC, and then you put in square brackets a number after it. This is in Markdown. And then what happens is that the word gets highlighted and a link is made to an item that you put at the end of your Markdown document tagged with that number or anything actually but uh, and the, but in there you have to have the URL so because I, I know I would screw up the writing the URL the first time and then the second time and so on I make um, template variables to hold it and then I can just put the the template language to allow the the item to be inserted yes that makes sense I've, I've used something well I didn't use it but there's something similar going on behind Pelican, which is written in Python, it has—I mm-hmm. forget what it's called now—but yes, and I know that the, the Ruby equivalent of uh, Pelican uses something similar. Yeah, but, it's, uh, it, what, what, what's the one that you're using? Did you say maybe I missed the name? It's called Template Toolkit. It's Template Toolkit, okay. usually referred to as TT2, and it's also there's also a Python version of it now. That's uh, it, it came from Perl originally, and it um, it's used. It was originally used to enable you to make generic HTML. So, you know, you'd write a piece of HTML that said, put the footer here, put the, 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 the header here, the footer here, put the body here. And then those things would be references to other files, which just got pasted in at the, at the time that uh, the, the, the processor processed it. You know, it would work for static pages as well, you know, um, but it was, could be used for dynamic pages as you, as you saw fit. So that, that yeah. that's where that sort of stuff come came from, and loads of other people have done it. It's in PHP. It's, it's in all sorts of languages. That style of idea. Yes, I think it's either called pigments or ginger or ginger two uh-huh. uh-huh. the Python one, the yep. Python templating yep. one. I've never used it, but I just noticed it as a dependency when I was compiling Pelican once. I used to use it at work quite a lot because we serviced. The mailing list feature, we, we ran Mailman eventually. So we offered a mailing list feature that um, there were mailing lists that, that uh, sent messages to all students and all staff and that sort of thing. But there were also the capability of people, who were members of staff at the university, to request a mailing list to go to their research group or whatever. And uh, we, we created a form that they needed to fill in on the, on the web which sent a standardized uh, uh, request in. And then I wrote um, things that took those forms and, and did the necessary and also also um, sent back a, a boilerplate mail reply. Sometimes it said, you know, you, you, I just made it simple so you could just say, send boilerplate, go away or something. <laughs> You're not authorized to have a mailing list or you know, boiler, the boilerplate, which said, yeah, done it. <laughs> was, the, 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 this is all done with just sort of command line scripts that let you um, take a mail message, chop it up into pieces, rebuild it through the template with boilerplate stuff and so forth. And so I found that template toolkit was fantastic for that sort of thing because you, you could make umpteen different, uh, uh, you just have one script and then you just told the script, use this template and, th- and that and that caused it to do one thing and th- this template made it do another thing. You know? So it's um, 
it's remarkably useful for all sorts of things like that. All right. Yes, I I, I didn't realise this seems to be the ancestor of the things I'd come across. I didn't realise it went quite so far back as that. Yeah, it's it's. I think I was probably playing with this in the early two thousands. That that sort of time scale. Um, when Perl really was the language that uh, you did all this sort of stuff in, but yeah, it's um, it's it's very convenient. I, I find myself writing scripts of a general nature these days, where I put a template capability into it. So if I want a report out of it or something, then uh, I can just say run against this template and it just throws whatever data structure it's got and uh, and out comes a form which might be html or csv or anything you you, you like um depending on how you've written the template the, the the work is done in the template uh but you're just throwing it a bunch of data i mean you you i'm sure you're well aware of how this sort of stuff works but just uh, just in case people are not not fully up to speed with this type of stuff um, it's a, it's it's a fun way of doing things. Yeah, no, no, it's definitely worthwhile explaining that because actually I'm not that familiar with it for starters, and secondly, uh, yeah, sometimes you know when you listen to HPR shows, somebody mentions something as if everyone's going to understand it. Well, oh, that sounds interesting, but I don't understand it. And of course, <laughs> we know that Ken would be there. Do a show, do a show. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. The the um, these two these templating systems are quite good. Uh, Template toolkit that I that I know the the best has got the ability to there's loads and loads of plugins for example so you can if you wish put the database plugin into it so within your template you can do database queries and um, you can uh, you know and then format those queries into Markdown in a document which then gets printed um, in 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 a pretty form you know. Uh, or as pretty as you can do with Markdown, which has a few limitations in, in that sort of area. But uh, you know, it, it's it's just just really convenient to be able to do that sort of stuff. I develop my um, show note creation stuff, uh, where I often do shows about how to do things in Bash or, or whatever, and then I do some example scripts. Bash scripts, and what I do is to have the Bash script available to the infrastructure that creates the notes, and it, and I can put a reference in in the template that says, at this point, run the script or show the script maybe as part of the text, and then run the script and show the output from the script. So that that's a couple of template calls. Uh, there's a there's a macro type facility which lets you make external calls and and that type of thing. So um, that has been amazingly useful because all the, if you're ever r- doing things where you're running a script and showing the output, the tendency to tweak that script, forget to put the tweak into the notes and then put the output, and then you look at it and think, how on earth did that script ever produce that output? Well, I do anyway. And yeah. but if it was the script itself that made the output, then it's it's a lot easier. I mean, my son's doing this MSc in computer science, and they use Jupyter notebooks. Is it Jupyter notebooks? Yeah, quite a lot. Which it, which has that principle in it that uh, you can put your. I think they have to submit their work sometimes with their program that they've written 
in the notebook with the output, which I think the, the reader can just run and see what it does. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a, what I've done is very basic in comparison to the way the world has moved to do these types of things. But it's, it's just a, you know, fun thing. Yes, yeah. Uh, yeah, so, uh, I certainly, uh, a, f- a friend of mine introduced me to the Jupyter Notebook stuff, uh, which is a Python thing, isn't it? Yes, I believe so. Yes, and um, I was like, just check out remembering the right thing. And I was quite impressed with that and the little models he was building. And it was all very easy for me to inspect and fiddle around with. Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think um, I went to a talk given by the Edinburgh Linux User Group a couple of years ago now. Wow, time's fly, flown, isn't it? But uh, the guy who was managing the Edinburgh University Jupyter Notebooks engine for Edinburgh and a whole bunch of other universities, I think, as a as a service, was was there talking about you know the sort of things he was being asked to do. So you you can build notebooks for different languages and this type of thing. It's it's incredibly impressive. Indeed, yes. So um, so when uh, I mean, what, what is it you're hoping to have produced when you get to the end of this? If you're um, or or is it just a sort of long ongoing uh, task the production of hbr show notes has been through a long a long development where the goal was simply to make something that i could use and was was um uh free from fairly free from fairly resilient to the daft lad going and running it wrongly and uh <laughs> <laughs> so uh, me being the daft laddie of course which had more or less achieved actually so i do things like i start writing some notes and i in the majority of shows that i produce i make a long set of notes which is pages and pages sometimes and separate that from the notes you see when you actually bring up the show on hbr that the the, the you just get an overview in the, the short form of it. So I start by writing the long thing. And because the the way I've built the template, it auto-generates the short stuff as as it goes. You know, so there's a as long as you type your overview in a, in a pre-assigned block. Sorry, my chair is very creaky today. <clears throat> um, That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's better than the birds. No, no, I prefer the birds, actually. Um, <laughs> so, so long as you put the overview in the right place and or you put your links in the right place, then you end up with an overview and links in the short notes and you don't have to do anything to it. In fact, if I do do something to it, then I'll break it probably. Um, so things like that I do. And I also determine what what uh, files is are going to be associated with the, the thing and that I can, that's a sort of incrementing process so that i've decided right, i'm going to have a script here which demonstrates that feature i've been talking about and then um and it's some examples that uh, run and produce output to, to prove that it, that it does what it's going to do so i would put those together and put them in a in a place where the software can find it each of my shows has its own directory associated with it. And um, then I make a, a sort of um, parts list, manifest, whatever you like to call it, which just link, it just has the, um, the paths to, to the various files. And then I've written a preprocessor that 
goes through all of this stuff and feeds the template. The template then generates Markdown, and the Markdown's given to Pandoc, and out comes HTML with all of this stuff hopefully stitched into it. So, um, oh, and incidentally, you were saying about um, monitoring the development of, of, of a program, of, of a text, I mean. Um, <clears throat> you were using ENTR, how are you supposed to pronounce that? Yes, that's right. So you I told me about that years ago, actually, and, and yeah. Sorry, I interrupted you. No, no, I was just going to say that you've re recently suggested a better alternative, because I was using <laughs> Maduri, because you could instruct Maduri to page refresh, which you couldn't do with Chrome and Firefox and other browsers that I, I could interact with in the command line. And then I could cause use Enter to trigger the the page, Maduri, to do its page refresh. So I could literally type in the markdown file. As soon as I saved it, Enter would pick that up and tell Maduri to to fire a page refresh mm -hmm. so i would mm -hmm. you know every time i saved it i would get an instant preview but uh, was it the falcon browser you yes. said can do both yes. of those together falcon doesn't need to be told um it seems to monitor and whether it's only files i don't know because you know I've, in my case i will have created a file in my file system that contains the uh, the, the html that i'm going to send to hbr um, and Vulcan just says, oh, it's changed, right? And then it just refreshes it as it as it changes. So it's doing something like what Enter is doing all by itself, which is, I don't know whether you can turn it on or off, but it's it's on by default with me, and it's really good. Yeah, and Vulcan, uh, it's spelt with a key, and uh -huh. uh, the, the clue being that it's a, I think when we in TuxJam, we reviewed Chaos, and then that's when you prompted you to mention Falcon because Falcon was included with Chaos. So the K is an, an indication that it's part of KDE. Is that yeah, right? I think so. I think so. It's um, I'm not sure what it derives from. Uh, one of the the well-known uh, browsers, I think. I think it offers. Um, is it? I think it offers sort of tab better tab management. You remember how uh, I think Chrome and Firefox had really fancy capabilities that let you have lots and lots of tabs that you could go and group together and uh, and mm -hmm. go back and fish around with them. Um, then they took all that out, which, which I missed enormously because managing tabs was was a was a great thing for as far as I was concerned. I think Falcon's got got some of that in it. So you know it's it's relatively easy to to manage the things that you're working with through through Falcon, which is good. Yeah. Well, I was just looking because I assumed that in the browser, I assumed that Falcon replaced Conqueror, which is the the browser um, that KDE has mm -hmm. used for uh, as long as I've used KDE since so KDE three point something or other. Um, but in my Slackware, which has KDE with Plasma five, it it has. I still have Conqueror, but that may be because I haven't actually installed, I haven't removed old packages. So, but Falcon is there, and I hadn't noticed. So Falcon must have appeared when Plasma Five came in in Slackware, and um, it says that it um, it's a Qt web browser previously known as Cupzilla, Q U P Zilla. Um, oh yeah, yeah. Qt web engine for rendering. So it's it's distinct then from both Chrome and Firefox. It's separate to that then. Mm -hmm, mm 
Yes, I'd forgotten that. I'm confused because I've got so many browsers I fiddle around with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it doesn't have quite the powerful features of tab grouping that some some do. Um, but, you know, it's, it, uh, that's by the by, really. Um, yes, and well, I mean, the fact that I've already got it installed uh, means in the future I'll be using Falcon to do this job because it replaces both Enter and Maduri, neither of which I believe come with Slackware. I had to compile them myself, mm -hmm. which, mm -hmm. which wasn't. Both were very easy, to be honest. Um, but um, but if I've already got Falcon to do the job, I might as well just use that from now on. Yeah, see how you get on with it. It, it might not contain all the browser features that you want. I mainly use it to, to point at HTML files that I'm developing, but uh, it, it it seems to be great for that. It's 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 very it's very responsive and it's got you know, pretty much everything I want. So hopefully the same with you. Yeah. Oh, actually, now I, now I say that I would still have to use Enter because the other thing Enter will do is fire the script that does that turns the markdown into HTML. So Falcon can't do that, but oh, okay. it's got some okay. kind of it's clever hook in it. Um, uh -huh. I don't no. know. I'll go and read because if it can do, yeah, you never know. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I I think I said last time we we spoke that I use Make to to do that so make spots that there is work to do if i i run make out of vim so i do something like make all and it just goes and says oh you've updated your notes i will just go oh and that those notes as well you know you know the usual stuff and and it's got rules for doing all the pan docking and putting through template engines and all that sort of stuff um so yeah yeah so that's that's uh that's quite i, I actually made it I haven't quite got to the point where it uploads the show yet, but uh, that would be my ultimate goal. I don't think Ken would be too pleased if I did that, though. <laughs> yes, yeah. My uh, so. my original Bash script, which I was going to share with the world, did do that because it could use FTP to, to upload stuff. But now we've got a form. I, don't know, I could obviously write to the form with curl or something, but... Um, I have never got around to developing it because you can't really poke around to somebody's form to develop your your uh, automation behind the scenes without uh, causing a fair amount of grief, I would have thought. Yes, I, I suppose one thing that could be done is, rather than using curl uh, the way you described, another way to do it is create some kind of rudimentary API on the HPR website so people... Because the community is the kind of community that would like. So I'm sure many. I would. I would do it. Um, I would like to submit my shows through an API. That would work fine. <laughs> yeah, it has been discussed. Actually, it has been discussed. I'm not sure how far we've got with it. I think we suffer from failing to develop in the way, in the sort of way that you'd like, because everybody's so busy doing their own, having their mm. own lives, and doing doing their own jobs and stuff like that. It's it's, uh, it's proved to be really difficult to. To get a huge lot of uh, development on HBR done, I tend to yeah. be hacking around on things myself. But uh, but just you know a, a fairly small level, not the the big redesign of API level. Yes, uh -huh. I mean coming up five years is relatively easy. Actually, implementing is a time-consuming. Uh, <laughs> yes, and uh, certainly, in, in, I mean HBR is quite a, a loose group, but in more formal groups uh, like. Uh, board of trustees and company boards and you know not even that formal but you know where people have to come together and get something done and have legal responsibilities 
I'm always very much a big fan of if you're going to suggest something, don't just expect somebody else to do it, you know, suggest <laughs> it with some idea of how it might be done and possibly yes. with the idea that if you think it's a really good idea and nobody else is going to do it, then perhaps you should do it. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, of course, the, yes. the downside of that is it inhibits people proposing ideas if they think they have to uh, execute whatever idea they come up with. But yes, on the plus yes. side, it stops people coming up with great ideas which require fiendish amounts of time to implement. Yes, yes. Having worked in in schemes where there's a project manager who says, "Oh, what we really need is this," you know, and walks off thinking that 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 somehow has magically made that. That piece of software come to exist you know, without really any 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 other thought about resources or people or or anything um then yeah it's uh i think i was working in an environment that wasn't really well well set up for that sort of thing <laughs> being a university universities are not all that brilliant at that type of thing but yeah. Um, yeah. anyway yeah yeah i was, I was keeping to mind a, a website that has a big button on it and you press it and it says create world peace, you know. <laughs> Pretty easy to implement that website. Yes, a little bit more yes. difficult to get it to do anything. Yes. The thing that's happening behind it is something's been written to a file. You've had a world peace request <laughs> on this date at this time, right? That's fine. That's that yes. sorted then. Is world peaceful equals true. Don't job done. <laughs> aye, aye. So, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, really my my message regarding documentation and stuff is that I've come up with the thing that lets me make um, HPR show notes relatively easily of the type that I tend to do, which is long and long winded and detailed. And um, it's, it, it handles short and, and, and punchy as well, but uh, it's not, uh, it's not the thing that I originally visited, which was something I could hand over to the world and say, there you go. It just it it's just been personalised to the umpteenth degree and is mm. weird and you know people go what what is this nonsense why would you ever do that and stuff so you know it's, yes but it's still worth hearing it I think because even if somebody's reaction is that you know what I've I've done I mean this has happened to me before I mean I'm not really a software developer as such I'm not a professional one I, mean, I do obviously write software and uh, and and. I have made money from doing it over the years, but I don't regard myself as a professional software developer, just as somebody who plays cricket on a Saturday isn't a professional cricketer. Mm -hmm. um, uh, but uh, there was an occasion where I'd written this thing, and I think it was, yeah, I'd, I'd used MediaWiki, which is what you know Wikipedia was based on, and there was a phase where like every other website had set up with MediaWiki and was doing something, and there was this, this it was written in PHP, I think, and there was little hooks you could put into it. So I'd done all these clever things with the PHP, but it quickly, you know, to um, to extract numbers from a database and display them in tables and do some elementary processing to make it more interactive than a usual wiki would be. What the what we were doing in this project is not so important, anyway. It quickly became a nightmare. You know, it sounded like a very good idea, but because I, I was just cobbling it together myself in my spare time sort of thing, it quickly turned into a nightmare to maintain. And then this guy came in um, into the company, um, and, uh, and then the first thing he looked at was this. I asked him to look at it, and he went, oh, my God, this is awful. <laughs> How on earth do you maintain this? And I went, actually... Um, don't really know how to anymore. So he immediately said, "No, this is how you should do it." And then 
went in and uh, and did a, did it much better than I did. You know, so I think that you know you know that it, that can happen, can't it? If you share your stuff, show somebody else, and then they realise with benefit of hindsight, your work is then valuable because it can show somebody else. Mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm, another, mm-hmm. how they think, oh, well, that's yes. what you want done. I see what you want done. I've seen how you do it. But now I'm going to go at it from my way. You know, that could be good. Yeah, yeah. No, you have a point there. You have a point. I um, I spent a lot of my working life creating things to solve immediate problems. And often they were clunky things that uh, that, that worked, but were not they were hard to expand and whatever. Um when I started working at uh, at the university, there was no automate, automation that let students get accounts on the central machines. It was a guy who sat in his office all day long, and students came and knocked at the door and said, can I have an account on the machine, please? And he'd say, yeah, and he'd sit there and type stuff into um, some bits of software, and that would come a bit of paper that said, there you go, there's your account, and off you go. But we were dealing with, you know, thousands of people and remote people and stuff like that. So I, I ended up writing a whole, what do you know, there's a name for these things, but it, it's an account management system that, that created all these things. But it was done to my way of doing it. You know, it was a case, oh, we need this right, quick, quick, quick. We've got, you've got a day to fix it right, it's fixed. And you look back and you think, oh, my God, what happens if that bit of string breaks and it all falls to the floor? Uh, and I handed that over. When I retired, I spent months explaining how this stuff worked and handing this stuff over, none of which they were going to run. They were going to re-implement it in Oracle thingies. Um, Oracle offer a similar product that lets you hook into your student database and create accounts and uh, give people resources and roles and control and stuff. So, you know, it's a big booming area these days. Um, so, yeah, so there was big handover of knowledge, not not of software. It was the, the, the knowledge handover that was the, that was the useful thing. Um, yeah. They didn't yeah, listen to everything I said, but they did listen to 90% of it, so that was good. Well, that is good because one thing I was, I mean, I um, had my university education at Glasgow and have worked and worked there for on and off over the years, and I was quite shocked when I went away when I left in the nineties, late nineties. Uh, everything was done in sort of Linux, Unix systems, and and lots of clever people that you get in universities knew, knew about computers, especially in the physics department and some other departments too, including computer science. So um, and the computing service itself had come up with like like homebrew solutions, and these homebrew solutions were used throughout different you know, universities, certainly around the UK, some internationally. Um, and I thought it was, this, that really was really good. But when I came back, I didn't work for Glasgow University again until oh, maybe 10 years later. When I came back, it was all Microsoft. You know, all this sort of, uh, all the stuff that they developed for themselves had gone and the university had bought in some, I don't know what it was, Teams or something, or whatever, you know, exchange mail servers and all the rest of it. And I was really quite shocked, you know, to be honest. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, and, and of course they were all complaining that they couldn't update things and things weren't working quite the way they wanted it and they couldn't change it and the university was paying lots of money. So there's all those grumbles. Um, and I don't, I mean, maybe I've got rose-tinted spectacles, but I don't remember seeing that 
you know, because um, uh, the people that developed a lot of these systems, like you developed your system, were, were there at the university. Um, and you could go and talk to them, and you could go and ask them, and you know, uh, um, and you ended up with something that was much more bespoke to how that university worked. So, um, yeah, so I was a bit disappointed, but I don't really know enough about it to say how bad or good a thing it was. But it, mm-hmm. my instinct mm-hmm. was that it wasn't a good thing; it was it was a bad thing. Uh, well, that, that having, down that road. having been in a university while that process was happening, um, there was a. Uh, the way that universities were funded changed a lot over my time working there. It used to be you know, central central funding for certain, um, particularly computers. I mean, when I started work there in 1981, then all of the, the uh, central computing facilities were were paid for by government through a through a a body set up specifically to do that and that I think was shut down in the early 90s that sort of time um I don't remember precisely they were called the com- the computer board and they had you know sort of a fair amount of money we got a million pounds in 1987 to buy a uh, a replacement system which was due to last about seven years before we get any more funding, so so it must have still kept going beyond those seven years. Um, so it was in sort of mid nineties, maybe the, the the thing petered out. And of course, universities at that point were on their own. You know, use your own budget to buy your computing thingies, and nobody at least in my experience, who were managing these these places, knew what the hell to do. You know, they were, they were the first reaction was, well, bring in consultants. And the consultants came in <laughs> rubbing their hands with glee because they had they had this wonderful <laughs> bunch of people who knew nothing about what they they did know a lot about in the in the main anyway, at least at the management level. And mm, uh, right. you know, they they bulldozed all sorts of nonsense into into. Um, the, the way things were, were set up. And of course, the, the answer had to be that you bought stuff from the big boys. You, you, you don't, you don't go, there was, there was a thing, um, you know, Simon Phipps, he yes, was, yes. Um, he was, he was working for Sun when Sun went much more open source with their, with their stuff. And then Sun got bought up by, Oracle, Oracle, wasn't it? Yeah, and he left around about that time, and he went to work for a company called Forge Rock. Forge Rock was a company that was making these sorts of um, uh, student well, account management things, like I was describing. So you know, you had to have a source of who the people were from your HR system or from your student record system, whatever it was, and you fed the data into this system and it spat out whatever you told it to through filters to, to make accounts and give people access rights and all of that sort of stuff. Um, and we looked, there was a there was a strong recommendation that we look at Forge Rock as the way to do, do things in the, the university. But the management would not touch it because, you know, here's this small company making this product, whether it's good or bad, we don't care. But how are they still going to be here next year, you know, in five years' time? Oracle, 
on the other hand, we know will be there forever and ever and ever. You never get rid of them, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Well, yeah, you've got your, yeah, it's like the, you know, people wanting security. Well, being in prison is a pretty secure environment. <laughs> <laughs> that would do it. That would do it. <laughs> yeah. Oh, we've, we've maybe ventured off into the subject of an, uh, a future HPR episode there, because that's actually quite interesting. I don't know if it's one that you'd want to talk about more, but I certainly have my um, you know, my contact with it too, uh, from a different capacity to yours. Well, yes. I um, the, the whole business of how UK universities functioned, really just from my limited experience of it, though um, I was in a managerial role at that time, and I was not happy with what the way things were going. So I was quite keen to take the early retirement offered me in 2009 to get out. But one of the things, and his, his, I, I've never, I've always hesitated to mention this, but I'm going to mention it now. When you get a deal, but and universities are great at this, um, they say, okay, we've got all these people. Oh, look, he's an old guy. Uh, I was in my 50s at that point. So, oh, and he's earning a fair bit. Uh, right, let's offer him the offer he can't refuse to get out, right? Get your pension starting up early and off you go. And uh, so they come to, to, to say this, and they really do put the pressure on. And um, they say, but before you get your... Uh, leaving bundle or whatever, your, your free stapler and stuff. Um, it wasn't like that. But uh, um, then you have to sign this non-disclosure agreement that will prevent you from saying anything nasty about us into the future. So I had to sign this. <sighs> and that, to me, was a strong indication that things were well off the rails in that organisation, I was very pleased to get out of it. So, uh, Indeed, so here's yeah. me going against this uh, non-disclosure agreement. But, but you don't know what the university is, do you? So, so that's fine. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes, we haven't mentioned that. No, indeed not. Well, I, I do think that because I have uh, not personally, but I have friends and indeed my my own parents, who uh, are somewhat older than you, actually went through something very similar, uh, and a lot of things that you describe are familiar stories uh, that they mm-hmm. told me. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, yeah, so I uh, that may be an interesting Well, yeah, it, it, it would be it would be an interesting thing to, to talk about. And the whole the whole subject of if you have a, a number of employees that which a very large proportion are very skilled, highly motivated What's your best approach as a manager to keeping them doing what they do well? Do you tell them that they're all a bunch of idiots and not to be trusted and you're going to build this infrastructure that says, okay, every week you come and report what you did and we we score it. And then if you get a low score, then you're very, very naughty and you have to do much better the following week. If you build that sort of a structure for that sort of group of people, then do you get a good result? This is this is a very interesting question. I'm sure there are many people who are far more skilled in this subject than I am, uh, just being a victim of it. Who would who would comment? Yeah. But uh, but you know, it's a it's a it's a an interesting, and it happens all over the place. I mean, the the demotivation of skilled and trust potentially trustworthy people by failing to trust them and treating them like 
you know, cogs in a in a machine is 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 well known to be a, a destructive force in the in the world of work these days. Indeed, yes, and I mean the way I viewed it is that kind of practice that you just described, perhaps like target-driven culture of management. It was imported from the commercial world, from what academics like to call industry. Mm-hmm. I mean, academics call it yep. everything that's not academia industry. So commercial companies tried this and it failed. Uh, and weirdly, the consultants who were peddling it went into universities. Uh, well, I guess because uh, you know, and, and sold it to them too, as you described. But anyway, I am going to have to go yep, shortly. Yep, yep, yep. Um, so, um, but I do think I'd like to talk more about that in some future episodes. Yes, so, yes. Yeah. Well, uh, it would be it would be an interesting subject. I dare say there'd be a few people listening who might be might be interested, might have their own experiences to to share as well. As regards the making of books and stuff like that, I think I don't know. Is there any more mileage in this this subject? Um, we've 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 covered in general quite a lot of stuff here so we could just leave it at that point i don't know if we want to get into any more detail do we no no i think uh, i think i've said certainly i've said all uh, that i would say in the last episode and um, and i was enjoyed hearing what you described too so yeah no i think for the time being that's it but uh, yep. who knows i might go off and get some ideas to try and uh, you know like those templates are not something i considered using myself but i think hmm, maybe i might well it, it would it would be interesting maybe to revisit this subject months down the down the road just to say you know we we both look taken a, a different look at, at the problems that we were kicking around and come up with some different approaches so uh, let's have a little chat about about those that that might be there might be some mileage in that yes yes definitely um so I guess all that really remains, unless it's anything else you want to say, Dave, is just to say goodbye and, and, and thanks to everyone in HPR for listening. Yep, that's me. I've finished as well. Goodbye to everybody. And uh, thanks, Andrew. It's been, been fun having these chats. Indeed it has. You've been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by an HBR listener like yourself. If you ever thought of recording a podcast, then click on our contribute link to find out how easy it really is. Hekka Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club and is part of the binary revolution at binrev.com. If you have comments on today's show, please email the host directly, leave a comment on the website, or record a follow-up episode yourself. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license.